Okay. We have for our Bible study today, we're, this is lesson eight in the chapter of Ephesians, and it covers the end of chapter four, the first two verses of chapter five, and we're going to be led today by Mr. Curtis Whiteley. Mr. Whiteley. So as Reggie said, we are in section 8 of our Bible study, which is covering Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 17, through chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, and the name of the section is, Off with the Old, On with the New. And so this starts on page 42, and so just to start off as we do, uh, I'd like to ask somebody to read that first little section, that opening uh, narrative. But even before that, I want us to know that this is such a great and timely section of the scriptures. Because we have, just as of last night, we have three weeks until Passover takes place. And I remember whenever I was first baptized, and uh, specifically looking at these passages and some of the other ones that Paul talks about, about this idea of the old person and, you know, putting on that new person, that person that's in Christ. So I think that this is very fitting for what's ahead of us here in just a few weeks. So if I could, could I get a volunteer to read on page 42 the beginning narrative? No volunteers? Takes a little while. John or Reggie, either one. We couldn't understand why the agency was being so unhelpful. We had answered the advertisement and were eager to rent the apartment that we had been offered. There were some minor problems, but nothing too difficult to sort out. But every time we telephoned, we spoke to a different person, and they were never seemed to understand what was happening. We gave different answers each time. We asked the questions. They quoted us different rates. The worst thing was that they really didn't seem to care whether we rented the place or not. When we finally visited the office, it became clear. The secretaries and assistants we had been speaking to on the telephone were bright enough. They obviously would have liked to help be more helpful, but the manager, who had never talked to us himself, was impossible. He was inefficient, haphazard, and we suggested he had a drink problem. But he covered it up with being a bully. He shouted his employees, he gave them different directions every day. No wonder they hadn't been able to help us much. Only by confronting him directly and making him face the issues could we begin to sort everything out. When we began to get the grips on what was going wrong, the wrong way and the right way, to live truly, excuse me, let me start that over. When we begin to get the grips with the wrong way and the right way to live a truly human life, it's no good starting with the junior members of the establishment. People often suppose that Christian's behavior is simply a matter of going or getting your body to do certain things and not doing certain other things. That's like us trying to do business with the assistants rather than directly with the incompetent manager. Paul makes it clear in this passage that you've got to go about in the other way, or way around, 
and the incompetent manager isn't the human body, it's a human mind. So it's an interesting analogy that N.T. Wright's giving here. He's given this analogy of the incompetency, or the seeming incompetency of the staff uh, working at uh, I, some sort of place to rent something. Uh, and then he realizes that the incompetency is actually not with the staff, but with the manager, the one who truly is in control of what's going on. And so to open, there's this question that N.T. Wright gives us on page 43. And he asks, when it comes to changing our behavior, would you agree that the mind is the place to begin rather than the body? Explain. Probably common sense, right? Because the body doesn't do anything on its own. The body's a part of us, our members are a part of us, but the engine, the epicenter, of course, is in the heart-mind. It's what drives everything that we do. And so I think that we would all agree that, yes, mindset does determine everything about us, everything about our behavior. Just recently, it's interesting, I was watching something on TV. It was about an individual that was struggling with something. Uh, and in this case, this person was struggling with weight. Uh, they were trying to lose weight. Uh, they had a significant problem. Uh, and it was one of those shows that kind of you watched their journey. And in the process of time, this individual got to the point where they felt like they weren't the ones bringing the food to themselves. It maybe I think it was the father or something like that that provided the meals. They didn't work. They were kind of bedridden. And so this individual started to believe that it wasn't his fault because he wasn't the one buying the food. He wasn't the one bringing it to him and putting it in front of his face. And then that led to him believing, believing that he couldn't help it. That it was just inevitable. It was something that he had no control over. Now that wasn't reality. But according to that individual, that was the reality for them. It wasn't real. It was a delusion. But it was a self-inflicted delusion. It was in their mind. And their behavior followed, which was a continuance of just giving up, thinking that there's no use. I'm not even in control of this. Now, we can look at that in other areas of life, whether it be alcoholism, whether it be uh, you know, the way that we go about and act in public, how we act around each other, how we act with our families. It starts in our mindset. The mind is so critical. And that's why Paul here is going to start talking about this idea of renewing the mind. So can I get someone to read for this first question, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. Verse 17 through 24. Reggie? Uh, New King James Version. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from uh, the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being uh, past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. 
but you have not uh, so learned Christ. If you indeed have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man that was created according uh, to God in the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting... Uh, Putting away, lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And be, a be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. How far did you say? 24. That's okay. You can stop there. Oh, okay. Thank you, though. So the first question that's prompted or that's presented to us is how does Paul describe the pagan mind and heart? How does Paul describe the pagan mind and heart? Would like, somebody like to take a stab at this one, this question? Yes. Be set aside for however long it takes him for it to set it aside. It's important that he says, like you say, mind control. Sometimes that's not easy. Because the flesh does work on you. The old man <laughs> wants to come back. Sure, absolutely. And I like that first part that you just said, that they gave themselves over to the flesh. They gave their minds over to the flesh. And so now you have this weird, you know, you have this weird dichotomy that, you know, the mind controls the body. And so, you know, you're, you know when, when he uses the word flesh or the idea, you know, when I think about that, I think of, you know, the fleshly desires that does come from, you know, our, you know, uh, human nature. That's obviously enmity against God, and that we fight against. Does anybody have anything else they'd like to add to that? Reggie, did did you say okay? The CEV tra uh, translates this as, they are living like stupid, godless people. Their minds are dark, and they are stubborn and ignorant, and missed out on the good things of, of life that come from God. Absolutely. Thank you. Anybody else? This word, futility, that's used... Futility is, if we were to look at it in the English language, the definition is uselessness. Uselessness. And so they put their minds on things that were useless, that were temporary, that really didn't do anything for them, that just completely uh, you know, might have given them some short-term satisfaction but didn't have any real fulfillment. And so the phrase blindness of their heart that word blindness is actually the Greek word parisis, which actually means hardness or callousness. You know, it kind of th makes you think back to Israel, how Israel had hardened their hearts. Their hearts were so calloused, so hardened, that they weren't sensitive to the ways of God, and thus blind to the ways of God. And what's interesting is that their hearts became so blind, so hardened, that Paul likens this as the real truth, the ways of God, are foreign 
They're foreign to those who have their hearts blind and calloused and hard. They're alien. So the next question, question two, that we are asked is what behavior resulted from that thinking, from that, you know, mindset that gave their mind over to the fleshly desires? What was the result? And we are given a verse, verse 19. And just to reread that, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness and greediness. Anybody want to comment on this? What behavior resulted from thinking? I think the key word would be, I mean, it says greediness, but I think of selfishness, where self is all that's, uh, that you think about and which is all the five senses of the flesh. Absolutely, no doubt. Greediness. Greediness is I want it all. I care about my fulfillment, not others. I want to do things that make me feel good, me happy. Barnabas. <clears throat> they became insensitive to what was morally right. And uh, they were just calloused. So much so that what, whatever was right, they ignored. Absolutely. And it's interesting that the Net Bible, the New English Translation, translates this verse, because they are callous, they have, given themselves, they have given themselves over to indecency for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And so this word lewdness, that's in the New King James Version, in, in, in the text that we just read, uh, that I read from at the very beginning, refers to sensuality, physical pleasures. And if you look in the New Testament, there are so many different examples, but I just saw a couple, or uh, wrote down a couple, Romans 13, 13, Paul writes, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Also, you see Jesus say in Mark, the seventh chapter, verse 22, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. This idea is named among all of these immoral behaviors all of these immoral perspectives or worldviews or uh, lifestyles. And so I just thought it was really interesting is that the New Testament has a history, has many different spots where this idea of lewdness is named among different things such as immorality, uh, drunkenness, jealousy, coveting, wickedness, deceit, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of those go hand in hand with that pagan mindset that's driven by an absence of God, a hardening of hearts that doesn't understand nor know nor recognize the true ways of the true God of the universe. So question three is, how is this thinking and behavior similar to our culture today? Got something, Steve? <laughs> I know, we could stay here for a little while and, and talk this over, but yeah. I, would, I just, when I read that the, this morning, I, I thought, you know, I, let's, let's, what's going on in the society, the cancel culture, cancel out all, in fact, um, as I've been reading more and more, they're, they're working towards canceling 
Christianity, canceling Christ, all the words that he says, everything that's in the Bible, uh, canceling out Paul. These things are, are, are really beginning to happen a lot in our society, and it's, uh, um, you see a lot of people with a lot of, of darkness and, and not wanting any light at all. You know, Christ is the light, and they don't want it. They want darkness. Reggie? In Cabaret, Joel Gray did a little song where money makes the world go round, the world go round. Anyway, um, there's money, the love of money is the uh, greatest of all evil. And money involves greed. And the greed, the more money you want to make. And what makes things sell? What makes things sell is sex. So sex sells and the cells bring in more money and the money feeds the greed. It's all interrelated. Absolutely. Would anybody like to add to that? Like Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah. Absolutely. I did write down a few things. And that is that we, we tend to live in a society that tells us that we need to do what makes us feel good that promotes our individual desires uh, and that's all that matters don't worry about the potential consequences down the road don't worry about the potential consequences uh, to people that you love people in your family people that you associate with what matters is what you want and your desires and what makes you happy and to me, the result is that desires, when you, when you have this mindset, you are, you are striving for something that is never satisfied. You know, we need more and more and more and more and more. You know, I, I just think about like social media, you know, just an example. I mean, we can see social media, how ugly people are. I mean... Social media has a lot of benefits. I enjoy it in terms of being able to stay connected with people. You know, there's good about it, but there's, there's a lot of destruction that comes with it because it kind of gives people a weapon to be dehuman. And what I mean by that is talk to people in ways that they probably never would talk to. Otherwise, if they were face-to-face, you lose that human connection, that face-to-face. And, of course, we've had email before social media, and we've had you know, different ways of talking to people without actually being face-to-face. But I think that it's a good example of our society. And not only that, people get wrapped up in it and make it to be something like an idol. Like, uh, you know, I'm a... I guess I'm too old to have the, the new age social medias like Snapchat and, you know, the, the big ones uh, that are really popular young, the, among the, the, young, the young, younger people. Um, uh, but anyways, if you see some of the young generation, and even people my age and even older, it's all about trying to get more likes, trying to get more shares, right? Trying to get more comments. How many friends can I get? How many retweets can I get? And so it becomes like this contest, and people start kind of like thinking like, you know, their worth, like somehow they're like better now, you know, the more, 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 more you can get, the more important you must be. And so I was thinking, I was, I was looking at this question, I was reminded of something that Jesus said, 
uh, in John chapter 4 when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. Right? You know, talking about living waters. And we actually have that quote right above our uh, fountain, right out here in the foyer. But Jesus says, Jesus answered and said to her in verse 13, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And I think Jesus right there was playing on the futility of life without God. That ultimately God created us and there is in deep within us this longing for ultimate fulfillment. And it only comes through God. That when we eat, we'll get satisfied, but we'll get hungry again. When we drink, we'll get satisfied, but we'll get thirsty again. When we start putting our desires on other things in life, we might get satisfied, but we'll start longing again eventually. But with God, with Christ, when that's our ultimate longing, we can get ultimate fulfillment. Let's move on to the next question. In contrast, what teaching did the believers receive? So in contrast to the pagans, the Gentiles, our former ways, so to speak. And I'll just reread chapter 4, verses 20 through 24, because it's already been read, but I'll reread it. Paul says, but you have not so learned Christ. As in, he's saying like, but you have not learned it this way in Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. So, going back to that question, in contrast, what teaching did the believers receive? Would like to elaborate on this? Place to take control anymore. <clears throat> you have to. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus, so you have to start thinking more like God thinks finding out what he wants you to do. And that's not always easy. Even, if, even with the Spirit of God, it's not easy. Anybody else? Reggie? CEB translates it this way. You were told that your foolish desires will destroy you and you must give up your old way of life and all its bad habits. Uh, let your spirit change your way of thinking. So in other words, our past habits and, and that ways of doing things are self-destructive and not for our own good. Absolutely. Anybody else want to add to that? Fran? That's where the Spirit of God comes in. When it connects with our mind, it helps us, not that it does it for us because it won't, but it helps us to overcome that that nature that we have of just being self. Absolutely, and it, and it kind of goes to that idea of the harden of the heart, the, the callousness of the heart, the blindness, and that, that spirit gives us a renewal, a renewal of our mind 
which creates in us a new person, but it changes that rocky, hardened heart and it softens it to, and opens it up, right? To, to be able to understand, to, to, you know, when you are being uh, called and you are, you know, God is working with you, He is working on your heart. He is getting you in a position to where your heart can be opened up to see, perceive things like He does. To be, sens- you know, be sensitive to the things of God. And so, the Net Bible says, created in God's image, which de- denotes likeness. Uh, so, you know, in, in this, when it talks about, you know, that new man. Uh, and I just wrote down here that this passage really contrasts the way the Gentiles walk versus the new person who is in Christ. Because as Paul alludes to previously, in our former ways, we lived a life in blindness and darkness, not really perceiving reality and desire things that would never satisfy us, those deceitful desires. Here Paul says the new person comes from truth, comes from light. So moving on, on page 44, we have another little narrative. Would somebody like to volunteer to read that little paragraph on the top of page 44? Anybody? Glenda? Paul is urging the young Christians that they allow this teaching of Jesus to have its full effect in their lives. Now that they are in Christ, they have the responsibility in the power of the Spirit to take off the old lifestyle and the old way of being human like someone stripping off a shabby and worn suit of clothing. It may have become comfortable. You may may be used to it and even quite like it. Familiar old clothes are often like that, and brand new ones often feel a bit strange. But if you want to live as a new person in and for the king, the old suit of clothes has to come off and the new one has to go on. That is true, for me at least, in terms of the, the clothes analogy. You know, <laughs> I like my old clothes. I like what's comfortable. I like what's familiar to me. It's tough to change, right? You know, even a brand new pair of shoes. Maybe you've experienced that before, right? You got your old trusty shoes, and even though they're falling apart, you know, it's like it's hard to give them up. You know, for those new shoes that are uncomfortable, unfamiliar. And so I like the analogy that N.T. Wright gives. And question five asks us the question, how can we be renewed in the spirit of our mind? How can we be renewed in the spirit of our mind? Art? There's several things we can do. The first one, obviously, is studying, studying the Bible to get the instructions from Jesus so we know what we should be doing. And that, of course, puts us into a conflict with our emotions as Paul says in Romans 7:19, the good that I want to do I don't do and the evil that I don't want to do is what I do and that's a conflict with your emotions but some of the things we can do to overcome this is to change our environment uh, change our social activities change our friends uh, all of those things are contributing factors to to uh, establishing a renewed spirit in our minds
Barnabas. As you mentioned earlier about the uh, Passover coming up, uh, we know that the Apostle Paul said to examine yourselves. So if a person is having some difficulty in their life, maybe of trouble of some kind or, or trial, or maybe he needs an attitude adjustment. It just means to rethink your position, your situation, and maybe derive your own answers uh, from what you think about. Absolutely. It's interesting. The Greek word that Paul uses here is the word ananua. Probably butchered the pronunciation of that. But the meaning of it is, according to William Muntz, is to be renewed. That's real helpful, right? Or be renovated by inward reformation. And we know what the word or the idea of renovation is, right? If we were to renovate this church as we have before, we used to have a different stage. We came in here, we took out the old stage and we extended it out to make it a little bit uh, bigger so we could have more people up here. We, we did a renovation. We, within the church, renovated, changed, reorganized, threw out some things and, and built new. And so I think that that's a really good analogy to think about is, is a renovation of our mind, an inner renovation. Not getting rid of everything. I mean, there's some continuity in some ways, from the old man to the new man. You know, we're still the same person. We're not like taking our brain out and putting a new brain in. There's some continuity. But that continuity is being restored back to what God always originally wanted you to be. And that was someone who truly represented His image. And so I just thought that that word was kind of interesting. Now this, this is a, uh, something that to me reminds me of Romans, the 12th chapter. You guys have probably all read it. This is actually a different Greek word that's used, but in the English it's the same word, renewed. But Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Different Greek word, but similar concept. That you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And we've read that many times before. David, you have something to add to this? Yeah, just as an addition to it. To, there, there's a number of ways that we can renew our mind. And one, one way of renewing our mind is educating our mind. But it's true, you know, sometimes uh, we have a certain philosophy based on our environment or our, our growth or where we've come from. And sometimes uh, our thoughts and our thought processes are not always right and correct. Sometimes just, and I'm a very physical person myself, so I use more of a physical thing analogy. But uh, almost 50 years ago when I started going into business, uh, I was taught that certain types of uh, carpet cleaning was best and other parts were bad. You know, steam cleaning was bad. And uh, the old shampoo method was bad. And all the things that went along with that. Well, after a period of time, I began to realize, hey, well, there's some fallacies in this. You know, there's some benefits over here on this. And I began to research and, and study and experiment and, and do a lot of different things. And I come to find out that, you know, I was 
uh, wrong what I was doing before had its purpose but planned and same way with religion uh, you know we, we thought for a long time we're going to die and go to hell and uh, I don't want to do bad things because I don't want to go to hell and uh, but uh, my wife was challenged with a, a deal on one of the booklets or something from the old worldwide that uh, talking about heaven and hell and they didn't give you the information they just kind of baited you and friends said if they don't believe in going to hell you know I'm, gonna, I'm not going to listen to them anymore and we sent for their stuff well <laughs> that was just a, a, a springboard for us to learn and said okay well that's right that's right so we in, began to renew our mind in some way I mean that just went a little way of it but, but we really do need to educate our mind Reggie in order to bring about change, we have to change our, our automated behaviors, our habits. Habits can be either our, our good habits can be our best friends, bad habits can be our worst enemies. But it's not enough just to not do something anymore because not doing something is difficult. You have to replace the bad habit with another one. And it takes seven repetitions of a new idea to replace an old idea. some uh, good comments. Thank you, guys. Kind of what makes me think about what you said, David and Reggie. I, I have to admit, there's been things before that I really wanted to hold on to that I, I, I wanted it to be, like, fine and okay and good. You know, it's kind of like when you have, you know, for example, okay, I loved Bill Cosby, right? Loved Bill Cosby, loved his show, thought he was, you know, remember growing up, I hated hearing about the allegations against him, and I wanted them to be untrue. And there's been other, you know, uh, there's been other things in life that I can think about uh, where, uh, you know, maybe I've come to learn something that I enjoyed, that I liked, really wasn't very good. Uh, maybe it was, you know, wasn't sound or something like that. And so I guess what I'm getting at is the idea of renewing of your mind, renovating your mind. We have to sometimes fight against this idea that, and, and, or, or always question, am I trying to hold on to something because it's really good? You know, I know that Steve mentioned cancel culture a little while ago, and I think that we all could probably agree that we do live in a world that tends to just, you know, anyone who has a different opinion, I, I understand that, and we can all talk about those things. But, you know, with that being said, there are some things in our society that maybe we grew up with, that maybe uh, we held on to, and looking back, that I'm not saying they should be canceled, I'm not saying that they should be wiped out and nobody has access to it, but... Maybe we need to take a look at it and say, you know what, that really wasn't good. We have to be willing to examine things based upon the, 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 the godly, the spirit of God that's in us. And be careful of not holding on to things uh, just because they make us warm and fuzzy and cozy because we might have grew up with them. Uh, that's something I believe that we can, in our hearts, deceive ourselves. And I think those things, uh, uh, we have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to, to face things that maybe sometimes really aren't good, even if we grew up with having a, 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 a really 
heartfelt, cozy feeling towards them. Keith? Referring to the idea of uh, renewing the mind with the idea of meditation, which I had someone tell me a long time ago, meditation wasn't what I thought, but it's the idea of muttering something over and over again in your heart and your mind. But I'm reminded of what the Lord did with Joshua as he was getting ready to take over the people about how he said, you've got to stay in my word day and night. And I think the idea is he had to have his mind and heart renewed to the big responsibility of getting ready to come to him. And all of us, that's what we got to do. And that whole idea is a transforming of thinking like God thinks, Absolutely. which doesn't happen overnight. It's this idea that the mind is actually being changed little by little daily with the right choices. So. Art. Yeah, going along the same way with the meditation, um, the recommendations that they give uh, the psychologists do when you're trying to break bad habits and all, some of them are things like journaling and to couple in with your meditation and also visualizations of the situations that you're in. So then when you'll situations occur, you're better able to handle them. So if, uh, if you have a prayer log, uh, turning that into more of a journal, I think, is a good idea if, if anybody's ever done that. That's a, good, that's a good point, good idea, good suggestion. So I think we'll move on uh, to question six. Read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 through, five, uh, through chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, anybody would like to volunteer to do that? I can go ahead and read it. So verse 25, Therefore, putting away lying, let each uh, one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption let all bitterness wrath anger clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So the question is, what are the sins Paul says we are to put off? Many of them, right? I, I have down lying, stealing, corrupt words, Grieving of the spirit, bitterness, anger, wrath, malice, evil speaking. All of those are indicative of kind of the ways of the world, right? You know, the acceptable ways of the world. Does anybody want to add to that? Because the next question is related. And that question is, what new behaviors are we to put on instead? And what reason does Paul give for each. Fran? Ken? 
the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Absolutely. Ken, do you have something? We need to treat each other with kindness and forgiveness. We need to be tender-hearted in our attitudes toward others as God, through Christ, has forgiven us. We need to be forgiving toward them. And the way to do it is to focus on imitating God in our lives and following Jesus' example. Reggie? This notion of a corrupt word proceeding from your mouth is not just like dirty talk or vulgar, profane words, but it's also words that mislead or deceive or um, lead to conflict. Absolutely. I have down here, speak truth to neighbor because we are all members of one another. Labor for good so we can have something to give those who need. Speak what is good, so we can impart grace, something good, and edify the hearer. And be kind, be tender-hearted, be forgiving, be imitators of God. Walk in love, so we can demonstrate Christ in us. Alright, anybody want to add to that question? I'm trying to move us along a little bit, we've got about eight minutes left. So looking at question 8, how prevalent are these new behaviors, the behaviors that Paul is telling us to put on, that the new man is supposed to demonstrate, how prevalent are these behaviors in our culture today? And why do you think that is? you act because you're thinking with your brain here and your brain's miseducated what you will do is what the world does they see everything in a false it's false if you tell them God exists they say no he doesn't if you tell him well look into the skies and see the stars and how were they made if he doesn't exist and they said well we're, we're working on that we'll find that out one day and they will but they're going to have to admit that they're wrong light and truth go together Salt and light go together. Lies get you nowhere but in trouble. Absolutely. Anybody else want to add to that? How pre prevalent are these new behaviors in our culture today? I think that um, sometimes too much freedom causes the mind to overstep the bounds of decency and civility and um, anything goes. Did you have another one? You didn't? Okay. I had put down uh, in response to how prevalent are these new behaviors, I think that they're significantly being diminished. Uh, you know, our society has made idols of their worldview. You know, everyone has a different way that they look at the world, a uh, different perspective. And it seems to me uh, that those who don't have the same worldview as they do, 
just people in general, not everybody, but it seems to be more prevalent, where this, like, we live in this world, and I'll say this country, because that's where we live, where you've got to draw the line. You're either this way or this way. And we don't intermingle. We don't discuss and try to compromise. We don't try to hear each other out anymore. But you're either dumb, evil, dangerous, deserving not of my respect because you're on the other side. And of course, the person on the other side does the same thing back. And I think that that is because there is a lack of love. There really is. There's a lack of love. And if you think about it, when you have a lack of love, what happens is, is you start getting atrophy and being compassionate. compassionate. There's no love, so you're just indifferent. You start, you're, you're, your sense of compassion, even though the person or people might not see thing, everything like you do, they might not go to the same church as you do. They might not go to church at all. They might have a different political persuasion. If people don't check all of these boxes, well, you know, I've seen it where, and you probably have too, where you can meet some, some of the nicest people in the world. I mean, absolutely. I mean, just stand-up people. And then you realize that, man, they don't treat everyone like that. You see them around someone else. And so to me, I think that there's a lack of love that's resulted in a, you know, a lack of compassion. And if we watch how Jesus lived on this earth, his love for the Father was so great that it resulted in the greatest demonstration of compassion through how both he interacted with people and ultimately through the sacrifice that he gave of his own body. And he did not, trust me, people did not, that he died for around him that were doing it to him. They didn't check the box of being uh, of his worldview. <laughs> so that right there, I think, is a great demonstration of love. And for me, I think, you know, obviously we can discuss this in many different ways, but part of why we see a great diminish in you know, uh, of these behaviors that Paul's talking about within our society. So question nine says, what, what's the overriding reason to change our thinking in order to change our behavior and he gives us a little scripture, chapter 4, verse 30. Chapter 4, verse 30. Somebody want to take a stab at that question? What's the overriding reason to change our thinking in order to change our behavior? Barnabas? I think in our society today, a lot of people do know how to do good but because of their nature and because of their thoughts and the consequences that might follow they they know to do good but instead they do evil also I have written down it's by knowing the consequences for bad behavior uh, if you're breaking the laws of man that's one thing but to break the law of God is is the most perilous so that is uh, something that Sometimes we don't really think about that time of judgment will come and, uh, and by our own words we'll, we will either save ourselves or condemn ourselves. Just glad that 
Christ as our righteousness, though. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a scary thing to think about, you know. By our own words, we can, <laughs> we can judge ourselves. <laughs> yes, Ken. <clears throat> if we do not change our thinking, which would change our behavior, we grieve God's spirit that sealed us when we were baptized and, and uh, had hands laid on us and, and were prayed over. We received part of God's spirit. It's our marker. That's part of him in us and we're hurting him. You know, it's, it's like when for those of us that have children when you see them doing something that is just absolutely you know just breaks your heart and that's what that's what happens that's what we're doing when we don't change and it hurts a parent to see a child just keep on hurting themselves and it affects the influence right i mean i mean in, you know we can you know, God's all-powerful, but he's not going to force himself on us in terms of you know, make us do his will. He wants us to acknowledge his will through that spirit and grow into it as, you know, in an organic way. And I think what you're talking about, Ken, I mean, absolutely. You grieve that spirit, Father in us, the Christ in us, and it hurts. It grieves them. And it diminishes their influence on them, on on us, or their influence on us. We can we can mask through our behavior, through fighting and rebelling against it. I think we can mask the influence and and the sensitivity. We can start fueling or filling that old man again, and not filling that new man. Fran, I think if we remember. Um, on our very worst day, our very worst attitude, our very worst person that we have been, that Christ still loved us. And that's how we're supposed to view others. Even on their worst day, we're supposed to love them. And really, when we look at this, you know, that ceiling, that stamp, uh, shows us not only as you know the spirit in us, but what that means is is that we've been given the ability to change our mind. It's possible. Our heart and our heart has been able to be softened to see and perceive the things of God, and of course, thus change our mind and thus change our behavior. On top of page forty-five, I'll just go ahead and read this real quick, just because uh, we're kind of running out of out of time we read the word Paul uh, the word Paul uses for God's mark could refer to the seal or official stamp on a document or package marking it out for a particular use or occasion the mark indicates who it belongs to and what it's for if we are marked out by the spirit's personal presence living in us think how sad it makes that spirit if we behave in ways which don't reflect the life and love of God so question 10 asks what, or which, excuse me, verse, or chapter 10, which of these old ways of thinking and behaving do you need 
to put off? This is a personal question. This is a personal question I think we all have to reflect on personally ourselves. You know, we can't, no one can answer that for us. We all have different struggles. We all have different inclinations. We all have different sins. But the main thing we want to do is we want to be honest with ourselves. You know, you don't have, you know we, we don't have to go to confession and tell a, you know, a priest. We have a high priest, Christ. But we have to be honest with ourselves before we can truly come to Christ in repentance and asking Him to help us overcome things that are maybe some of those behaviors, those old ways that we still struggle at putting off. Anybody want to comment on this? Barnabas? I think the way we can approach this, sometimes we don't see bad in our behavior when others may see it. And this is pretty much, if you look back at the, the earlier scriptures that we read today, uh, one of the ways we can approach on the things that we need to change is just go by one by one. For example, verse 25 says to put away lying. So you stop there and you think about sometimes you uh, might have misinformed somebody or or deliberately lied to somebody. It's it's a thought-provoking verse there, just as these other verses that tell us, like, be you angry and sin not. Have we been angry? So sometimes these things come to you while you're getting ready to go to sleep or even during prayer. But this just uh, it's just appropriate to go back to these scriptures and think of them, these verses one by one. Thank you. Art? Oh, the thing that, that struck me was just the, the term, the old ways of thinking. And I, I, this doesn't sound good, I know, but I'm going to say I think of my parents <laughs> and some of the things that they uh, inadvertently transferred to me uh, that I absorbed. And uh, they weren't necessarily correct. And some of the behaviors um, that even my friends in my early formative years that uh, become inculcated into heart, part of my character value and later on you realize it and those are some of the things that uh, goes back to your environment and the friends that you have absolutely any others well we have two more questions le left so I want to kind of quickly get through these and then wrap this up because we uh, it's uh, over our time but uh, le question 11 says Paul says we should imitate God how can we do that? Tough one, right? I mean, we have the great example. Right? We have Christ. We see the life that he lived. I wrote down here multiple times, love, 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 love. As Christ presented his own body a sacrifice unto death for our sins, we present to God our bodies in action as dedicated to him for the service of him and for the glory of him. Well, one of the things that helps me, especially when I get mad at somebody that's, as we would say in the world, is I have to remember what you're talking about is love. Well, how do you do that? And so the world says the law is done away. 
A young man came to Christ once and said, how can I uh, inherit eternal life? And Christ said, in a nutshell, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And that sets you up for the second part. The other part is, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So loving God gives you the power of the Spirit to work in you to show you how to love your neighbor. We've all been there. You were talking about a while ago. <clears throat> what do you do if people disagree with you? Well, if, you're, if you have the Spirit of God working in you, you listen find out where they're coming from and then you try to apply that law to your neighbor as he said love your neighbor as yourself I think that is at least one of the answers absolutely so this last question I'm going to go ahead and just uh, let us kind of reflect upon that ourselves since we're running such so short a time but last question says scan through the new behaviors again that are found at the end of Ephesians 4 but this time, read them as a description of how God acts towards us. How does that make you think and feel differently about the whole passage? And so I think that that is something that is definitely eye-opening and something that we have to remember. All of these things that Paul's asking us to do are demonstrated by God toward us. And so with that, we'll go ahead and close this Bible study, and I'll close with prayer as we do that. Eternal Father, we just come before you thanking you for this beautiful Sabbath day, thanking you for your words, thanking you for inspiring this text here in the epistle to the Ephesians by your Apostle Paul. Father, we just thank you for your intervention in our life, for your calling us, for the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, allowing us to see the light, to see the truth, to see and perceive this world and the future, of course, your kingdom of God and the way in which you would want us to perceive it in reality. Father, we know that through you and through your Son that you've been given us the ability to be a new person. You've given us the ability to be baptized in the name of your Son. You've been given us the ability to throw off that old man, those old ways, and to truly become fulfilled through the things that you provide for us. Father, as we wrap up this Bible study, and we, we, we talked about and, and, and discussed and read about this idea of throwing off that old person, that old man, and putting on the new. Father, just help us all individually as we examine ourselves, as we seek to renew our mind, our spirit, to remodel, reform our minds continually to see more and more of your truth and thus be more and more renewed in mind to help us behave more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. So as we have Passover coming up shortly, thank, thank you, Father, for these words that you have in your, your inspired Scripture. Help us to reflect on these and help them to be words that we take, not just that we hear and discuss and then we leave here and we don't think about them anymore, but help these words, help these exhortations be implemented in our life. We ask this in your son's precious name, Jesus Christ, amen.